Well, yes, we do start recording before we actually start because sometimes that's where the funnest stuff happens. <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's absolute gold. It's usually, you know, mom messing with her hearing aids or <laughs> or something. It's it's a You have to listen. You moment. have to listen to our first podcast cuz that's where it was really golden, right? <laughs> oh my god, it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. Oh it my was. gosh. Do you have your pad of paper with questions and topics ready? I did not do that this time because you constantly shame me about that. <laughs> I do I, constantly shame you when about she, that. Yes, when she po uh, always uh, reminds me of how I'm being a real baby boomer. <laughs> so I'll be like, <laughs> well, I have my list of like five things that I wanted us to talk about today. So usually now, Robin, I just sneak them off to the side, you know, so I, I try not to be obvious, but actually I don't have that today. I seriously, nice. seriously don't have that today. Man, <laughs> letting it be conversational. It only took 10 episodes. <laughs> yeah, Very well, nice. part of it's because I know Robin and her story, and I know there's a lot I don't know, but yeah. So, yes, we want to, you know, obviously we're going to talk about, you know, because I think you have, um, you check a lot of diversity boxes. <laughs> and, oh, my um, God, Mom. <laughs> That's so terrible. She does true. check a lot of diversity boxes. It's true. Right? I know, I know. It's just like, that was the most boomer thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, I thought I'd say the silent part out loud, as they say. Yeah. But you know, um, you know, bringing all that plus the other thing that I think was really interesting that I want to hear you talk about is um, when I first met you, you were a very active, enthusiastic member of that big old church in in Augusta, non-denominational church, and then sort of made that journey to uh to being in the elca and i think it would be great to hear a little bit about that um so anyway i think at least yeah. do you want do you want to say what some of your questions are or are you just gonna <clears throat> wing it i mean i i do like <laughs> i do like to wing it but you know i think we've said a lot of times on the podcast that we are like two cisgender white women mm -hmm. and so we do want to find you know some intersectionality with people and you are also a candidate of color in an incredibly white denomination in the south and you're a woman right did so i not like, already say that with checking all the boxes come on boxes. you did you did you oh did. you're trying to say it in such a millennial way <laughs> Well, I, I think framing them as inter, intersectionalities and not boxes is, is <laughs> a, little more, a little more my style, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's such an important point of view, especially uh -huh. in a denomination that does have leadership that so badly wants to diversify congregations. It just doesn't know how to do it. It just doesn't know how to do it. <laughs> 
And then <laughs> you've tried got so congregations. Hard. Yeah, I mean, and then you've got congregations that are kind of oblivious, like to just how white the ELCA is and how that's well, oblivious slash don't care. <laughs> yeah, apathetic. I mean, it, you know, and so it's a. Uh, it, I, I think a little bit about how when I was on my internship in Oregon, people were like, I can't believe you want to go back to the South. Like, you know, do they even like women pastors there? Like there's, you'll face so few op more, few obstacles out here. And I'm like, well, you have to go, I think where you'll make the most change if you're going to try to change anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you, if you have the guts for that. Yeah. Right. And so you're a, incredibly gutsy woman <laughs> for doing because she checks doing. so many boxes that's why <laughs> oh, jesus christ so <laughs> yes you do you check you check a bravery box as well hello everybody and welcome to the 10th episode of you're on mute with Pastors Elise and Mary. I'm Pastor Elise. I'm Pastor Mary in That's Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah. That's right. Episode so, 10. Episode 10. <laughs> Mom is jazzed today. Well, we're double I, digits. Oh. <laughs> I, think, I think it's part of the we're double digits. I think she's no, let me on today. She is really right. showing out. She is really well, showing out. And here's the other reason. I've... <laughs> I've come, it's Holy Week, and I'm very glad about that, and super glad that I'm actually prepared for everything. <laughs> so um, I have now decided that there is such a thing as being exhaustion drunk, uh, and <laughs> well, you know, I think I apologize to my, to my young millennial council president. A couple of meetings ago, we were having a little executive team meeting, and I don't know what all had happened that day, but it was one of those 15, 16-hour days, and now we were having a meeting on top of that. And I just felt like, uh, you know, he would... <laughs> I remember one time he said something about, well, some people want us to do blah, 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 and I literally went, and I'll tell you why I think that's wrong. I mean, like a, dr <laughs> like a drunk person. And... <laughs> It was like I was like super punchy. And what and makes it even funnier is you've never actually been. We've drunk. been drunk. I haven't. So <laughs> I'm like just assuming this is what it's like. <laughs> That's the most Mary Anderson thing on the planet. That the only the only inebriation you've ever felt <laughs> is from exhaustion and working too much. I know. Like I like, so I've I decided can't. it's a thing. It is a thing for sure. Yeah, I um decision. So that's what's wrong with me today. Great. An exhaustion or, drunk. Yes, exhaustion drunk. I mean, we're all we are all checking the bravery box by recording some doing something extra in holy. Uh, so we well done. Well done, all of us. Um but yeah, no, since it is episode ten, we thought that um we would just kind of remind everybody that we are two female pastors in the ELCA. I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My mom is in Columbia, South Carolina, and she's a boomer. I'm a millennial. And uh, we just like having conversations about church stuff and leadership stuff and the different intersectionalities that we come across and how we solve certain problems. And, you know, if you're a church person, awesome. If you are 
not what mom might call a seeker. Uh, I might. Yeah, pre that was pre Harry Potter. So it was have, actually seeker has different meaning now. It was in my my doctoral thesis. It was yes. in your doctoral thesis. That's right. Oh, I'm sorry. The Reverend Doctor Mary Anderson. That's right. Let's get that. Let's get that straight yeah. right off the yeah, bat yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. So, and we have a, a really special guest with us today. Mom, would you like to introduce Robin to us? I will. Um, Robin Pingelli is with us, and she's a senior uh, at Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary, Lenore Ryan University. You have to say all that now. Um, or, I don't know, they do something to your debit card or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I met, I met, <laughs> see, exhaustion drunk. This is exhaustion what happened. Exhaustion drunk, my God. <laughs> so I met Robin when she was um, a first-year student at the seminary, and I was the professor of contextual education, so Robin was in my class. So Robin, well, let's just say hi so we can hear your voice. Hey. I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> Yay! So Robin is hole up in her dorm room or something. Uh, she doesn't live technically near the seminary. Um, so she's married with kids and um, has made this journey. And so we, um, Robin is an African-American woman. She is um, former military. And um, the other thing that I wanted her to talk a little bit about today, and she can certainly start by telling her story in any way that she wants to, but I was intrigued by um, and felt privileged to be able to journey with her uh, that first year. When she came to seminary, she was a part of um, a very large non-denomination i think it was non-denominational wasn't it or did they did they no. claim a denomination yeah they're um so they're umc that's they're UMC, right they're they were methodists i thought so but it's structured very non-denominationally you wouldn't know they went with that model which i think is kind of typical um a lot of these kind of big box churches um they adopt that mega church model which kind of looks the same whether you're part of a denomination or not. Um, so only the the big key leaders really know that it's part of a denomination, right? Right. But so so Robin went from that her first year uh, to eventually deciding to become part of the widest denomination in America, the yeah. evangelical evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Go team! Welcome. So, you know, Robin, why don't you start just kind of telling us your story a little bit, and, and, and no doubt we'll interrupt you along the way. Okay, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I met you my first year of seminary, and to be honest, I did not think I was going to ever go to seminary. Um, mm. I remember having a conversation um, because I lived in Augusta, and the closest seminary was in Atlanta. Like, God, how am I going to do this? Like, how do I remain faithful as a mother and a wife and still follow obediently to where I feel I'm being called? Um, and it was just no way um, I can make that journey without leaving my family. Um, so I put it in God's hands and was like, if I'm going to go to seminary, you're going to have to do it. And I think the next week, my relator of sorts um, called me and said LTSS was an approved seminary and it was about an hour away. So I could be able to 
do both in. Um, and very Lutheran that, time. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so I was so ecstatic and so excited um, to be able to go to seminary and everything just seemed to fall in place where I could be um, home and at seminary, um, which lasted about six months. About six months because I was driving back and forth and I remember Dr. Dreyer pulling me to the side and saying, Robin, are you going to make it? <laughs> I didn't feel like I was going to make it. I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I was so exhausted. Um, driving back and forth to school every night and every morning, I felt like I was always in transition. Mm. Um, very little time for me, for self-care. So yeah. it was just work, work, work until I was burning out and it was showing. Um, yeah. And I think, I believe it was you, Dr. Anderson, that said, you know, um, maybe you should stay on campus a couple of days a week. That might, you know, give you time to be still, to lean into the work. And then when you went home, you could focus on being with your family. And I did that and it worked. It was so great to be on campus Monday through Wednesday, leave Thursday morning and be home until I had to be back here Sunday morning for um, Ascension. Yeah. And it worked beautifully. I kept <laughs> that model for years um, until I moved on campus full time. And I want to say, I didn't think that I would be going from being United Methodist to Lutheran. I thought, as most people believe when they come to seminary, this is a part of your formation, right? This mm -hmm. is going to deepen your foundation. Um, it's going to hone some of the, the, the growing edges um, that you have. I Leaving <laughs> my <laughs> denomination was the last thing on my mind. Well, and Robin, yeah. I will say, too, that um, for those who don't know, um, Lutheran Theological Southern Seminary. It's a very ecumenical <laughs> seminary. So yeah, right. you were not a fish out of water being United right. Methodist. In fact, we have dedicated United Methodist professors there, mm -hmm. um, as well as having a number of Baptist students, et cetera. So I just wanted to say that. Right. Yeah, unlike, right. I mean, my seminary in Chicago is Lutheran. <laughs> so, right. so, that, so even though they're both ELCA, congregations i think there are congregations geez seminaries there is definitely regional and cultural like norms that bleed into the culture of the seminaries as well so it's right. it's also kind of interesting that you know you weren't a fish out of water and yet still jumped in the bigger pool right <laughs> yeah. right and it was and and my class was super diverse like we had lutherans and methodists I think we had somebody from the from Union Seminary mm -hmm. transfer in. Um, we have an AMEZ. Um, we had um, an NA, an NL, NAL. I can never remember the uh, the North the, American the, Lutheran. Yes, yeah. we had a student yeah. that that wasn't when I was there, but maybe because right. you've been there longer than I have now. Right. So, <laughs> we had a, my class was super super diverse. So yeah, I it was very ecumenical. Um, and I felt like, wow, okay, this is what seminary is supposed to feel like. I was mm -hmm. um, just enjoying myself. Um, I wanna say that 
so my roots are Baptist. I grew up Baptist and okay. kind of transitioned to Methodism through being in the military and just coming across uh, uh, chaplains that were ecumenical themselves, right? Like yeah, you might have yeah. a Lutheran chaplain and he was mm-hmm. doing service this Sunday or, or um, a Baptist uh, chaplain. So I wasn't um, as uh, de- uh, denominationally rigid mm. um, in one particular denomination over another. So um, when I came to the seminary, I had been with um, a UMC church for about a decade, for about a decade. And like I said, the the makeup was more non-denominational in the the larger churches. Um, So when I came, um, I really didn't understand the candidacy process and I was walking by faith and... um, I was very affirmed by my pastor, very, very affirmed by my pastor. Um, but I still felt like I was very much on my own um, mm. outside of seven. I felt very much on my own. That was definitely I, one of your issues, wasn't it? That right. No in, some ways, in some ways, you didn't feel supported as a candidate. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, it was time for field parish assignments. Um, mm-hmm. that, was, and, that was me. Yeah. 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 And you, you, you had us come in and we did, um, you did kind of a, a, a chat with us about um, what we were looking for, what we, what we could expect and what you were looking for in placements. And I remember you saying to me, um, well, not to me, but it felt like to me, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to send anyone to their home congregation. And I heard that and it went out the ear because I was like, I'm going back to <laughs> I'm going back to my home <laughs> congregation because they know me, right? They know me. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking this is the best place for me to get formed. This is what I'm thinking. Right. But um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the best place for me to be formed. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, my relationship declined with my home congregation um, to the point that I question my call. Um, And it was the seminary, my classmates and seniors, the returning seniors that really just rallied behind me. Um, I remember being in chapel and it was this, we were having this big, big worship service for like incense I remember the incense were burning and everybody was dressed up and I mean it smelled wonderful in there and I had never experienced anything like it and I'm bawling like I'm sitting in the middle of the pew in the middle of the 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 right side of the chapel and I'm bawling because I feel so alone in worship Mm. and it was the seniors sitting around me that were like just cry it out. Just yeah. cry it out. If you can't, if there's be anywhere broken, you can here. cry openly, it's right. scary. That's right. <laughs> because everybody's done it. Yeah. <laughs> At least once. It breaks. Right. Yes. And I remember having a conversation with those same seniors about kind of what was going on with you know my home congregation and me feeling so untethered and alone. 
Um, and their response was, we got you here. You're mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, God didn't call you to this place for no reason. Look for the open door. Mm. And I was like, I don't see any open doors in this house, but I'm going to stay in the house and wait for something to open. Right. And Maybe a window's open somewhere. <laughs> right. And that kind of became my mantra. I was going to lean into seminary completely and see what God had in store for me. Um, and it was really hard because I saw my classmates had their journeys planned out. They knew where they were going. They kind of had an idea of where they were going to land. And I was living step by step, mm -hmm. day by day, assignment by assignment. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I existed on really people pouring out to me, like your mom, like mm -hmm. just checking in with me and, hey, Robin, are you okay? And affirming me. Um, being here. Uh, and I remember you sent me to Ascension and I was like, uh, okay, I don't, oh, okay, we're going to Ascension. <laughs> <laughs> and I got over there and I remember my first meeting with Pastor Jackie and she like opened the doors of her church to me. Robin, what do you want to learn? What do you want to experience? And, and didn't know me. Mm. And didn't know me. And I kept having that experience. Um, person after person that came into my life just poured out to me, asking nothing back. And yeah. I just leaned in. I just kept telling myself, I'm going to be faithful and obedient to this place. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully, right? Hopefully, um, God will, will use my obedience and faithfulness for mm -hmm. whatever um, there is for God to have me do. Wow, and yeah. um, I remember one of my classmates, Oscar, um, I was looking for something, reading material, anything um, in the, the Baptist tradition and the, the UMC tradition as I Remember, we didn't have anything tangible you could hold in your hand and kind of just read over the tenets, right? Outside of our big books of, right? right. Something, <laughs> something I could have with me always. Um, and I didn't know how to voice it to ask anybody. I remember Oscar coming up to me um, with a catechism mm. and saying, this is for you. I still have it on my bookshelf. Oh, I that's neat. Good old Oscar. And he was like, you're a Lutheran. And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm a Lutheran. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not a Lutheran, um, but okay. But it stuck with me because I, I asked myself, well, what did, what prompted him to say that about me? What does right. he see? And this is more of me just leaning in and trying to just be aware of what God is doing around me and in me. Mm -hmm. And I remember going home over break, it was spring break, and reading everything I could about Lutheranism, everything, watching Netflix videos and oh my gosh. Uh, YouTube videos. I bought the book of Concord. <laughs> like I- Yeah, wanted, you did. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to do my due diligence because I yeah. wanted- 
I wanted to know what he was seeing that correlated to Lutheranism. I remember when you did that. Oh, my gosh. Right. Well, from someone that is a Lutheran that is saying to me, you know, "Mm, you're Lutheran. And I realized so much of what I already believe to be true was just written in words in everything I was reading. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I knew and the faith that had been poured into me and formed into me and, and not written anywhere that I had held in my hands was now mm-hmm. in the palm of my hands. Yeah. Wow. That, that is a, a confirming feeling. Absolutely. You are where you're supposed to be. I had a similar experience in seminary. I mean, I'm a cradle Lutheran. Like (laughs) I always, I always joke. I've been Lutheran since Lutheranism was a thing because we can like trace (laughs) our Lutheran roots, like back to Germany. And I remember being in seminary and we were studying the book of Concord, which for anyone listening that doesn't know is literally like a brick of a book. I mean, it's like thicker than the Bible. And it is is just like every, it's documents written by Luther. It's documents written by my guy, Melanchthon. It's, it's documents written by all, it's the Augs, it's, it's everything. I mean, it's basically like the transcript of the Reformation is in this book. And um, I remember sitting in classes being like, okay, I am definitely Lutheran. (laughs) Like just kind of being like, oh, okay. So this isn't just like, some, you know, internal ethic morals that I came up with on my own, this has been instilled in me. And just like you said, and oh my God, it's like written down. (laughs) Like, like Robin, Robin, can you give an example, if you can, of something that you read and you said, oh, that's what I already believe or feel. Right. So one thing that lifted up off the pages of the book of Concord, and I'm looking at my book because it's right here, um, (laughs) it's always close by. Um, one thing that I realized that I had never experienced fully or been invited to do is to put, um, the tenets of our faith, um, what we have been preached about, um, what we have been taught about God and put it on a chopping block and investigate it to Mm -hmm. ask questions about it. And to use my own experience as a hermeneutical lens to ask questions. And I felt that from the Book of Concord, that I I was reading other people using their lives and their experience and their faith and their interpretation of scripture to ask, what is God doing? Mm. Um, and, And it just... It 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 um it, it it gave me a breath. It gave mm-hmm. me a breath. I'm thinking about um um baptism and how um I I I always understood it to be something that we do, right? As Christians, we baptize, right? Mm-hmm. In different ways, we sprinkle and dunk and whatever, <laughs> but knowing there was something more there, understanding that there is not just an invitation, but there's a responsibility and there's relationship rooted in our baptism um, that dictates and guides the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And it begins at baptism. 
right? Yeah. That's something that we carry as Lutherans with us and can continual, um, continually proclaim and affirm is our identity and our baptism that connects yeah. us both past and present to future Lutherans, right? And how we want to come alongside and accompany what God is doing wherever God is doing it. And it's rooted in our baptism. And mm -hmm. I did not have the articulation of that language until I started mm -hmm. reading the conversations as I see the book of Concord is a conversation about how we see ourselves mm -hmm. and how we root ourselves um, in our baptism and what that means for us as a denomination, as churches, mm -hmm as members of community, um, I don't know, it just, it it invited me to then ask questions. And to yeah. I think that's interesting, yeah. I think that's interesting that you talk about how the, um, the Book of Concord, you saw just this great articulation of, you know, what doctrine is or, you know, what it is that we believe and that you hadn't really experienced that before. But I mean, Lutherans can articulate stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Right. oh yeah and it's so i something you said really struck me in in like the the use of real life experience to explain like the the unexplainable kind of in i think so that's something that like i literally had a light bulb moment while you were talking because you know people people ask me all the time and i'm sure you get it too having come having had so much experience in different denominations but like what makes lutherans different right like I, something i get in the south a lot is are lutherans christian <laughs> i'm like <laughs> yeah we are and you know what you're not speaking latin right now because of us <laughs> and uh and i think i you know, you wouldn't think reading documents from, you know, the 14, 1500s would be interesting, but Luther especially was so like real and, and like sassy, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would laugh out loud, like reading some of Luther's words. I mean, he's straight up calling the Pope a devil for one thing, which like just would make me laugh. But, um, you know, but then he also, you know, he, he didn't want to reform the church because of some heady, you know, academic difference in interpretation or whatever. It was a, it was a relational thing for him. You know, his big thing at first was priests should be able to be in romantic relationships. They should be able to get married. You know, it was like these questions that were very much affecting like his life and, you know, people should have scripture in their hands that they can understand and, and people should be able to take part of the sacraments. Like that's a, right. that's a, that's a visceral, like earthy thing, right? Yeah. You know, like that, that's a, that was a, those were reasons that like you could feel, like you could touch and like really get your hands dirty when you would think. Yeah. About and, and he believed that people should know that they have a loving and graceful God and not just a judgmental mm -hmm. one. I think we're right. still working on that. Right, right. Well, one one thing that um, right now is is um, very powerful in my life that came out of the Book of Concord, but was always already in me, um, is the idea of um, using our our lived experience, what influences us, uh, and and um, 
the legacy of experience that's passed down and faith to mm-hmm. interpret scripture. For me, I'm it, it's a marriage of uh, womanist theology and Lutheran theology that are both mm. saying the same thing that right. prompts me then to ask as a, a, a Lutheran womanist, what life am I bringing as a hermeneutical lens to interpret the text? Right. Um, and just, just and, so really quick for anyone who doesn't know, can you define womanist theology for, for folks? So womanist theology, um, in a nutshell, basically invites and encourages African-American women and women of color to use their lived experience um, to recognize that uh, they have um, knowledge and information value valuable to the field of biblical interpretation, to the field of theology. Um, that uh, I, it, it came to prominence around the 1980s, but Mm-hmm. Black women and women of color have been interpreting the Bible and scripture and, and the relationship with yeah. God um, in their communities since forever. But in yeah. the 1980s, it came to prominence with Alice Walker's definition of uh, womanism and womanist. Yeah and, yeah. and Robin, when that was happening, I started seminary in 1978. And um, so I was, I was still in... Uh, I was still in seminary when that started to happen. But one thing that was still very true during that period of time and when I was learning uh, biblical studies, et cetera, and systematic theology is those lived experiences were irrelevant. Mm. We, We were basically taught, here are all the best commentaries on these books of the Bible. Uh, these are the these are the scholars that you should care about. They were all white German men. Right. Um, some of them from decades before, and even the current ones were all white men. There were um, a few classes and things like, you know, a feminist understanding of the Old Testament or something like that. But those were the kinds of things that you took. Um, a, if you were not a serious student. B, if you were a serious student, but you had, um, you needed another elective, you know, or something like that. So we have, in my lifetime, we have come such a long way um, of understanding that those lived experiences not only are real, but that they matter. They matter to God and they matter to our interpretation of scripture and our understanding of the church. And so... Um, you know, we weren't even allowed to, um, you know, like preaching professors wouldn't even encourage us to tell a personal story because that was putting ourselves into it too much. Yeah. Right. So long way. I still get some pushback because I like to name, um, women in the, the new Testament that don't have names that are typically named by their circumstances. And Mm -hmm. I believe women are more than their circumstances. Um, We were recently doing the hemorrhaging woman and I named her Tikva. And everybody (laughs) in the class started um, referring to her as that. And I did that because I wanted to see her. Not just because um, of her circumstance, but I wanted 
um, to see her for her boldness. Mm-hmm. She went and got her healing. She went yeah. and got it. Um, and, and no one was going to stop her. Um, mm-hmm. Not even Jesus, right? Yeah, um, right. So, <laughs> so I wanted to claim that um, on, on behalf of her in her name. So I gave her a name that um, is associated with boldness and courageousness. Um, awesome. And I wanted to honor in class, right? And um, yeah, that wasn't, that didn't go over well. <laughs> that didn't go over well. But again, <laughs> But then again, you know, and, and, and too bad. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like, um, you know, so much of what we do in the classroom, um, is so far removed from the pews. Right. But it influences those sitting in the, in the pews and the Mm -hmm. the wider community. If we come at interpretations from one voice, from one context, from one understanding, we miss out on so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I realized that like, when you were in seminary, Dr. Anderson, I, all um, biblical interpretation wasn't contextual, right? You had to be objective, but it was never your context or your, uh, <laughs> your um, objectiveness, right? It was someone right. else's. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we now know that that God is so much bigger that it takes many voices and experiences and perspectives to glimpse just a bit more because we will never have it all. But to glimpse a bit mm-hmm. more, we need everybody's voice. Um, yeah, well, because God is so much bigger than the church. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we act yeah. like it's the totality of the divine, but it's not. Yeah. And, you know, it's all these people, um, you know, trying to trying to understand that we need each other's perspectives because yes. we don't have all of them. And I think that's one of the big challenges in local congregations. You know, when you become a pastor there is, um, you know, you realize that there's a big echo chamber <laughs> that goes on in congregations. Yeah. And depending on where you are, a lot of people don't have um, big experiences in terms of, um, well, they have big experiences, but uh, sometimes they're not very well traveled. Sometimes they've never talked to anybody who was gay or lesbian, um, never met anybody who was transgender, not even sure what that's about, uh, yeah. never had an honest conversation with anybody of a different race than them. And so, you know, I think part of our job is to um, let those voices um, be filtered through scripture and mm-hmm. help them see and hear some things that they normally don't. Yeah. And um, you have to do that pretty carefully most of the time, but it yeah. works pretty well. Scripture's well, too, a great ally. <laughs> it, it really is. And I, I think, too, you know, so many times... Um, folks will cling to scripture, but be scared of like their context, but helping folks kind of realize our context still exists within the scripture, but then also kind of making these characters familiar, you know, I mean, I, you know, I preached yesterday on Palm Sunday and and we, we read the whole passion narrative. And so Mm -hmm. I, I tried to primarily focus on, on the actual Palm Sunday story, but, you know, I talked about, the dynamics of power 
and like the divine power of Jesus versus the very human power of Rome. And we see this battle play out all week. And we want to think that we are, you know, the disciples who didn't run away, the disciples who didn't deny Jesus, the, the, the members of the crowd that didn't turn on him within days, but that's exactly who we are. You know, and so kind of finding ourselves in these stories and what kind of power are you actually attracted to? You know, are you attracted to the Jesus a lot of people expected, which is this soldier of God who was going to smite down Rome and, you know, like take over as king? Or you are attracted to the divine God that stood there beaten and humbled, you know, and and told his disciples to put away their swords. And, you know, I think when when you kind of ask those questions, people immediately get pissed off at you because it's not, that's not what they come to church to hear, but, you know, but I think helping each person, no matter their context, find themselves in scripture is so important. And, and like, I just love that you name, I mean, everyone knows who the hemorrhaging woman is, right. You know, like it's, it's a very famous story and, you know, she, you know, she got the credit of, she had been trying for 12 years to fix this problem. She went broke. She probably lost whatever family that she had, you know, over it as being seen as kind of unclean. And, and you just think about there's got, there is a woman in this congregation who had a hysterectomy because she was hemorrhaging constantly, or she Mm -hmm. had thyroids or, or, you know, you know, some kind of fibrous, something going on. And, and so being able to, to name that person, I think allows whoever is experiencing that to grab onto her as a, as an example. Mm-hmm. And, right. and also, you know, pointing out just cause it's in scripture doesn't mean it doesn't still happen. Like, I mean, I was thinking of mom, as you were talking about the, the white male voices, you all were first forced, forced to only, you know, <laughs> learn from. I, I, I was thinking about all of the amazing texts that, I was, you know, exposed to in seminary. And one of, one of my favorites is sisters in the wilderness. Um, you know, and, and she, Dolores, you know, totally flips the story of Hagar. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's just like, how often is, even though Hagar gets a name, she's still known as the slave that, you know, Abraham impregnated. And so it's, I just love kind of the, you might think that that was so long ago, it doesn't happen anymore, but it happens all the time. That is an experience of women in color, of women of color constantly, mm-hmm. you know? And so kind of opening people up to that, because I think modern Christianity in a lot of ways almost distance itself from the scripture that's uncomfortable, right? you know? Oh, and, totally. and, and, you know, especially I see it a lot in, the non-denominational churches, the, you know, bigger churches here in Chattanooga, where they'll pick and choose their scripture, kind of what goes on their boards, you know, what goes, what goes on their postcards, what goes on their programs for the day, what their sermon series is on. Um, But then if I actually, when I talk to people who actually go there, I'm like, well, what did the sermon talk about? And it's, and it, to me, it sounds like a self-help narrative, you know, how, what can Jesus do for you? Right. And, um, you know, it's like, that's just not, that's not what inspires me from scripture, really. And so um, one of my favorite little things I did uh, for during the height of the pandemic, I did these little videos for the kids of our congregation called Bible Time. 
and it was it was really cute <laughs> if I if I had if I had any like any extra time in my week I'd probably still do it but editing videos is incredibly time consuming it is. Um, yeah. but I did um uh people of color in the bible which mm -hmm. technically is everyone <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know for, for for my white southern congregation my first episode was about how Jesus was a man of color <laughs> And there were people, adults, that were like, I just never thought about, never thought about that. Right. <laughs> I'm right. like, welcome. Yeah. Welcome the well, and of <laughs> course, the, and of course they didn't because all of the artwork is Jesus as a white person right. that they've seen right. and that they put in their churches. Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's think not I, their fault. Right. <laughs> I think it goes back to what well, for me, I think it goes back to one thing that we can um, continue to overlook about Jesus in that is his humanity. Yes. Like uh. we and, and, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble, but it's something that I've been just reflecting on that we lose Jesus's life. Mm -hmm. We lose what God is trying to say to us in Jesus's life, we lose that because we get so distracted by the death. Mm. Damn. Do. Will you there come preach for me on Thursday? <laughs> there is something, and, and I, I mean, I know saying that people get, you know, tense, wait, 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 what is she doing? But there is something so beautiful, so loving, in the life of Jesus before and after the cross that, that proclaims love in a way that promotes and, and, and pushes wholeness upon us mm -hmm. in a way that we don't give it to our, ourselves. Like, like yeah. for us to, to really embrace what it means to be human together by leaning into and putting a spotlight on Jesus's humanity. Yes. Because Jesus lived, lived mm -hmm. and continues to live. Yeah. Um, and I think when we pull out and we see the, the, the beginning and the continuation after the cross, there's something about wholeness and connectivity and relationship that we miss when we just focus solely on this little small piece of the cross, mm -hmm. which is very important. It is very important. But I think the other parts are too. Yeah, if but not more so. Because in we are in terms of how we have to go and go forward and live. Right. Well, we're disconnected from our own humanity because we're disconnected from Jesus's humanity. We have disconnected Jesus yes. from his own humanity. Yes. I, oh my God. I know this is just, I love you. This is <laughs> so I, I have been, it's, there's no other way to say, it, but like preaching that for the longest time. Cause whenever someone will ask like, well, pastor, what's your favorite, what's your favorite, like Jesus moment. I'm like, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane telling God, I can't do this. Take like, this cup. 
take this cup from me. That moment of humanity. And I also, my congregation knows I love to preach on sassy Jesus, like when, <laughs> like, like, or like face palm Jesus, when Jesus is literally like, you are, you are idiots that are not listening. Like, you know, and it's, it's so more than just like table flipping Jesus. Right. Because that was, that was, you know, social, that was, you know, you know, civil disobedience. Right. He was doing right. it together. Right. Right. And, and so, but I'm like, no, I'm talking about the Jesus who is just like, you know, constantly like who, what is with these guys? Like for God, for, for my father's sake, you know, <laughs> right. get, it, get it together, you know? Right. And it's just like, you know, reminding, you know, one of my favorite books is, um, Sue Monk kids book of longings, which mm. is like, um, it's incredible. And it's, it's the story of Jesus and it's, it's, you know, it's a, a novel, but it's the story of Jesus through the lens of his wife. Like if Jesus had gotten married, which we don't know, he could have been, um, what her experience would have been. And so you see Jesus, uh, as this young man, this young carpenter who meets her, you know, when they're both out in the wilderness praying, and then you see them get married, you know, you, you see them have a child, you know, and, and then, but you don't see his three years of ministry because they get separated right. and they, they don't reunite until she makes her way to Jerusalem because she hears he's going to be there and she sees him get crucified. Right. And so I, we all know the end to Jesus's story. And yet I'm reading this book weeping <laughs> because wondering seeing, what's going to happen. Yeah, You're just like, <laughs> you know, like I, as much as I logistically can't stand reading the passion story <laughs> because it's so long, when we do read it in church out loud, it strikes me every single time. It's like, hard to hold it together when you read that. It, it really is, you it know, is. and it I, Cause it's like, when you think about what just his, his physical body went through, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. And so, right. geez, yeah, I just, I just, I lit up inside when you're talking about the focusing on Jesus's humanity, <laughs> well, because, because it's my favorite part about him. It is, it is important. Um, when I get asked my favorite scripture, um, I know most people say Jesus wept, but I like to say Jesus lived. And there you go. Yeah. Um, and we're called to live too. Um, I, I really wrestle with the, the word that has come from the pulpit that suffering, um, in itself is holy. Mm. Um, yeah. and it's not, it's vile and cruel and ugly, um, in itself. And, yeah. but, but we haven't preached that. So no. if, if suffering has this sort of sanctification to it, then we, people who are struggling and people who um, are oppressed in any way, um, we, we have taught them to continue on, to just mm -hmm. take it, right? There's yeah. no hope for you in this life. To not expect right. anything different. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that's what the gospel <laughs> message is. I don't no. either. No, I think the we gospel did. Message is life. 
Absolutely. I mean, abundant. we abundant life. The, the, I mean, the gospel message, not to, to be a cheesy Hallmark card, but the, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's love, right? And, and, and love takes so many different forms. I mean, the Greeks did much better than the English language in describing all right. of that. But, you know, our, our Lenten theme this year was care, pick up your cross. And it was very interesting the perspectives that the perspective that I brought to it as like a millennial woman and the perspective right. my co-pastor brought to it as a middle-aged man, you mm -hmm. know, he was, he was constantly like carrying your cross is hard and mm -hmm. carrying a cross hurts and carrying a cross, you know, and I'm like, I mean, some of his messages were, were great, but we had, you know, I, I would talk about how carrying a cross is, is is a challenge, mm -hmm. but it is a privilege that comes with incredible amounts of responsibility. And, you know, but I talk about, there's a difference between the cross of the crucifixion and the cross of the resurrection. And so, you know, I'm like, if you only think of the cross of the crucifixion, then yes, it will constantly be a horrid struggle. Um, and you will, you know, then that creates this, dynamic of God wants me to be in pain, but right, right. you know, that's just not true. I mean, I think, you know, I think for a lot of people, and I say this to folks, I said this a lot when I was on CPE to people, <laughs> I said, right. I said, you know, God knows you're in pain, but God did not want this for you, you right. know, but God also has an understanding of the broken systems we have created which is why we are given Jesus to show us how to live through these broken systems and attempt to change them. But that's a little, that's like, it, it, it goes over people's heads a lot, especially when they're like sitting at the deathbed of their loved one and they just want to be mad at somebody. And I'm like, be mad at God. God can God take can it. Handle it. God, God can handle it. God can, God can take it. it. Right. right. Exactly. Well, God can handle things, your anger. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in, and I'm, I'm working actually on a, um, a course for as a final project for my intro to womanist theology class is I want to take a deep dive at love in the biblical mm. text as a way to, um, as, as a human, um, as, a, as an interpretive lens to look at um, the life of uh, Jesus we find in the gospel and where love shows up to kind of redefine and reimagine our understanding of love. Um, because like you said, love comes in various forms. I think we have this very narrow view of love. It's, mm -hmm. um, I love you as long as it feels right. And as long as I'm right. benefiting from this, right? That's, yes, that's it's very transactional. We, we right, made it very, very transactional. transactional. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Jesus spoke against that, you know, saying, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Big deal. Right, Evil people right. do the same thing. I think if we reimagine um, our definition of love to something that is broader and deeper, um, that's more relational um, and connected, um, that we would come out with a better understanding of the gospels. Mm. Um, particularly what you were just saying, right? Jesus uh, with the disciples, that's what comes to mind. And it's like, 
man, they just are not getting it. They're just, yeah. I mean, time and time again. It's like, yeah. you want us to push them away? You know? <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> Come I know. on, give Jesus some room. Right. And, and you, you just imagine Jesus going, I love them. Uh, well, well and, yeah. and, you know, I, I think that with all of the troubles that we're having in culture and church these days, uh, not that we haven't always, but somehow we can tell there's some big transition going on. There's some big reformation going on and we're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea of building deeper relationships with our neighbor um, and the whole world is where it's at. And we have mm-hmm. got to focus our mission and our ministry in that direction. And right. so, Robin, you know, you are such a wonder woman, and we're so glad you were here today. So tell us what you, you know, what are your plans? You're going to be graduating soon. What do you hope for, you know, right away or down the line? So um, I'm just getting started. That's what I like to tell people. I graduate here in May. I go on internship at um, Good Shepherd Lutheran in August. I'm going to be there for about a year. Six months into that, I'm going to start preparing for the approval process. Um, I have already uh, found a site for my PhD work. I'm going to be going back to the Greek as much as I cried about it, I'm going back to the Greek. Um, I don't, I'm going to get a PhD in biblical exposition um, with the focus on um, Hebrew and Koine Greek. Talk about um, suffering. I, <laughs> I want to I also supplement that with some systematic theology, um, particularly awesome. uh, womanist theology and womanist ethics. And um, I want to teach I, I understand that, uh, we need part-time pastors. Um, and I know that, uh, I am in a place where I can, um, not have to worry about, uh, how I'm going to take care of myself. That's kind of me putting it out there. Um, I, I have been intentional, um, which I believe is a part of me being faithful to this call to put myself in a position where I can focus on where God's calling me and not have to worry about how my family is going to be taken care of. Right. Right. Because that's important too. And, you know, serving a congregation is one of the greatest graduate school programs out there. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm hopeful. What I would like to do is find a congregation that is interested in, um, having a part-time pastor and supporting somebody in their call to, to future ministries, because I do want to get my PhD as well. Um, and kind of already plan on how that would look. So I'm not overwhelmed, but good yeah, for yeah. you. That's, That's awesome. The for the next five years. Or so. I know. <laughs> So how is your how is your husband and your your children how have they handled all this? Like troops. <laughs> um, so my husband just retired um, uh, last month, uh, twenty oh. years in the military, and wow. um, he's enjoying being a stay at home dad. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, just taught our middle son um, how to drive, and he passed his driver test, and you know wow. gave. They, they're uh, celebrating that this weekend. Um, 
but he's getting to do what he didn't get to do in the military. He spent so much, so many years away from our boys that um, he didn't get to see the milestones. So he's getting to um, experience that now. And it's just been a blessing because I know I can't do any of this without them. Right. And know that they're okay. Yeah. Um, it's been just a piece. It's been a piece. Now my oldest son is, um, jumping out of perfectly good planes as a paratrooper in the army. Oh I don't my gosh. know what oh my gosh. I don't know if he got that from, but that's what he right. does. So. I love that. Wow. Perfectly good planes. <laughs> perfectly, yeah, perfectly Let's good. get out of here. <laughs> no, my, fam my family's doing well. Um, I've been up here this semester on campus by myself um, full time. And it's been hard. I miss them dearly. Um, but I made a commitment commitment to myself that I wasn't going to limp out of the school. Mm. That I wanted to um, come back and reach back to the first years, the way that the seniors reached back for me. Yeah. Um, Dr. Beverly Wallace has this uh, sentiment um, that we lift as we rise, and I want to mm. embody that because. Yeah. If it wasn't for people reaching back for me to lift me, um, I wouldn't be here today. And I want to continue to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Thank oh, you so yeah. much for sharing your life story, but, but really just, um, you know, sharing your understanding of scripture and theology. I just think that's just so wonderful. And you're so very articulate and, and also, I mean, I don't live that far from the seminary. So if you ever want to escape your dorm room, yes, yeah. you know, let me know. Yeah. I should just have you over for dinner, too. That would be that great. Would be, that would be great. Um, cooking for one person is not as fun as it, it sounds. No, it's, it's <laughs> bad. It's really hard. It is. I didn't know that. Because none of us grew up that way. So we didn't grow yeah, up by yourself. <laughs> right. How do you buy one onion? I was like, so I need one. I know. <laughs> I make spaghetti, and I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's no. like okay, my meals for the week. Yeah. yeah. Well, and now I'm having the opposite experience. I went grocery shopping before this, and um, like. I, my fiance is over all the time for meals. And so now I feel like I have to buy for two. And I'm like, this is so much food. <laughs> and there's just two of us. This is crazy. It's so crazy. I've never had to measure out a can of stuff. I was like, I don't even know how to do this. this it is a learning curve. It really is oh, a learning curve. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. You learn to like leftovers. <laughs> Which has never really been my favorite, but. Yeah. Right. But there you are. Gosh. Yeah. Well, Man, it's so well, great seeing you and yeah. um, having this conversation with us. We really appreciate Definitely. it. Any, yeah, uh, any it. last, any last words of wisdom or anything you want to share that you didn't get to? Um, pay attention to the seminaries. Our, our seminaries are important. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they have a wonderful opportunity, um, to form the next leaders, um, and influence and make better what, what's happening in our churches and in our communities. I, I believe yeah. it starts with our seminarians and who mm -hmm. are teaching and who is teaching them. Yeah, so pay attention. absolutely. Yeah. Also, no, awesome. um, I want to lift up Luther Seminary. 
um, the news that they're not going to be RIC. And mm -hmm. um, coming from a sister seminary, it, it's disheartening. And we pray yeah. for the faculty there and the students. We hold them in our hearts. Absolutely. I had, I had not heard that. So that's, I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, it's been coming across my feed in drips, and I, I don't know the specifics, but I know um, that our one of our seminaries, and I want to say it's, it. I think it's Luther. I think it is. I know I it's one of our right. seminaries, um, but it's just been disheartening to watch um, because of um, the relationships I have and, and classmates and mentors mm -hmm. that I know it's breaking their heart to see um, a part of our body wrestle as they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. absolutely. Oh man, well, definitely lift them up. And, and I got to say, I don't typically enjoy talking scripture and theology with many people, but I could <laughs> talk to you for a long, long time. <laughs> I can't wait to be taught by you one day. I know. I was just thinking like, man, we need her in our pulpits, but we also need her teaching people. Yes. <laughs> so. And the good news, you can do both. Right, yeah, right. exactly. Well, yeah. Women women have always had to be uh, polyvocational. So I'm just living into what we do naturally. I know. Living right? the dream. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again for those in the back. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well listen, tell the seminary there hello for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we shall and we miss your presence here. Um you're still felt though. Um Oh well thank you uh so know that know that your legacy and what you what you left with us is still uh thriving here at ltss oh thanks i really i probably needed to hear that <laughs> yeah especially since i'm exhaustion drunk yeah exactly <laughs> thank you, you robin together, yeah That's thank right. you robin so much appreciate you yeah. being here thank, thank you, you. take right. care bye-bye i love her that was good. Yeah. She's so she's smart. Awesome. You know yeah, what? I was so I was thinking about how she kind of reminds me of you and your um your journey because <laughs> I just think about how when you were first starting out at seminary as well as Robin mm -hmm. I thought, you know, you know, is Elise mature enough for this? Is she going to be able to do this and same thing with well, I mean, you know, because you start out and we all do. Yeah. And yeah. we're not we're not fully formed. And the and the scary mm -hmm. part is, will this person get formed? Yeah. Um, and and I've just been so um, gratified to see, you know, how much you've grown and how articulate you've become, too. Mm -hmm. And what a great preacher you've become. And. Thanks, so that's great. You're you're welcome. Yeah. And those... you know, I mean, Robin was just so crushed that first year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not kind of knowing where she was or you know where she was being led, and disappointed in her home congregation. And I mean, it's really hard when you like form your life around these institutions. Right. And then at some point in your life, you realize how disappointing they can be. You know, when, when she said hard she lesson, felt, it is. And she, you know, she said she felt really let down by her um, <coughs> home congregation. I mean, I had a similar experience with um, St. Paul's, Paul. I know. you know, I mean, 
we've I've rebounded since and gone back and been able to preach there and and had right. a great experience. But you know, when I right after you left, it just rocked their world so much that you know I got pretty torn apart by the shrapnel of it all, mm. and you know it really led to me not being all that interested in finding a church home for six years. Yeah. I mean, all through college and, and grad school round one, I mean, I did not care if I stepped foot into a church building. I didn't feel disconnected from God. You know, I, I, right, I, right. I, remember, I, remember, I remember telling you and dad a lot, like I haven't lost my faith in God. I've lost my faith in the church. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. You know, for me, I mean, institutions, just like people, always Mm -hmm. end up disappointing at some point. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, I tell people that, I tell people that when they join the church, you know, join a congregation, Mm -hmm. I said, just so you know, we're going to, we're going to disappoint each other at some point, but it doesn't need to be a deal breaker. Right, exactly. You know, and and just like in relationships too, you disappoint each other, Mm -hmm. but you talk it out. And you yeah. carry on. Agnosium. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so, no, it was great having her on and, and all of that. And, and you know, it's kind of, I, I thought to myself as we were continuing to, to chat with her, you know, I thought like, wow, I really thought race relations would come up more, you know, but we just talked scripture. And so then I, I was just kind of like, I was like, actually, this is better. I know. You know? And, and why did we think that that was going to be the center of the conversation? Right. Well, I mean, because, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to think about ways to incorporate mm-hmm. diverse voices, whether it's diversity yeah. in race or gender or sexuality, to hear about people's experiences in this very white, straight denomination. Mm-hmm. But she did tell us her experience. It was Robin's experience. Right. And just because she didn't say as a black woman every other sentence, it actually brought way more life to the to the conversation because it's not like it was a topic we were avoiding. Like, mm-hmm. okay, just tell us what you think about Jesus, but you know, that's it. Um yeah. you know, and, and then but we also didn't put the conversation into a race jar either. And so yeah, we we really didn't know, talk about race at all. In fact, you no. know, she brought up the uh, um, you know, RIC issue at Luther. Yeah, that was that yeah. seemed to be the thing that was weighing on her right now. Right. So I just you know, I maybe I may be letting my ignorance show a little bit by by my like shock and awe, but I'm also just like really pumped at the conversation we did have. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it just it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. So I'll I'll look forward to what title you come up with for the segment. Yeah. That's probably only like the second conversation of substance I've really ever had with her, but mm-hmm. it was just Well you nice. guys just hit it off the minute you met. Oh gosh, yeah. At that um Dasher dinner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just I remember thinking like this this woman is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's come a long way since then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's I mean, so focused now on mm-hmm. what she wants to study and how she wants yeah. to help the church. And Yeah. Amazing. No, I mean, I, I'm glad she brought up womanist theology, too, because I've learned so much from 
um, womanist writings, you know, not yeah. just like, not just from a feminism perspective, which, you know, is, is incredible because the intersectionality of, of being a, a woman and a woman of color are, is just like, in, it's like every way, every way the planet can come down on you comes down on that intersection, uh-huh. you know, and uh-huh. then, and then add in being part of the LGBTQ community uh-huh. and, you know, it's, it's all the pressure points, wild. all the pressure points, but, you know, whether it's sisters in the wilderness, which, which I talked about, or, um, there was this great book of like essays, transformative Lutheran theologies, feminist, womanist, and motorista perspectives. Holy crap. (laughs) It is so good. Um, we read little chunks of it in seminary, but I, you know, speaking, I mean, I also, really appreciated her bringing up like pay attention to the seminaries i think yeah. you know when She's i was really in a seminary, good advocate yeah oh gosh when i was in seminary and was had quite a few leadership roles i remember getting so frustrated with people who were even just a year removed mm-hmm. and didn't care about what was going on at the seminaries mm-hmm. you know you're you're in such a bubble in seminary. And I was like, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to advocate. And I have not done that. Granted, I've been a pastor in a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) Cut yourself some slack. And, you know, it's been kind of a crazy two and a half years, but I mean, I also had, you know, in the same way that Southern was kind of her life raft, Yagam was mine. Uh And the seminary, was or my seminary experience i guess i should say was not a life raft for me right it was it was a traumatic experience (laughs) um i i came out of it with some incredible friends for sure Uh and relationships and and a great education a very specific one but relationally in the grand scheme of things, it was, it was a really hard three years. Well, and you know, like, yeah, I have friends who pastor friends who, for whom their college experience was so formative for them and such Mm -hmm. a life, life raft for them. And that's Mm -hmm. where they stay connected and, and not so much in their seminary experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Big thanks again to Robin for being here. Yes, absolutely. Um, keep an eye out for her. Keep an eye and an ear out for her because she's 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 the real deal. Right, right. So that was Robin Pingilly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was wonderful. And um, mm-hmm. blessed Holy Week, everyone. This is when we're recording this. And yep, it probably won't be published till after Holy Week, but we're gonna do. <laughs> I'm sorry, I will do my best. <laughs> That's right. Luckily, it was such a good conversation. Lest you think I have anything to do with the editing. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, it was a good enough conversation and so smooth. I don't think I'll have to edit too much. Right. I don't think it'll be too bad at all. So hopefully by the time time we're washing feet, you should be able to to listen. All right. That sounds good. Well, if we can get it out by uh, Easter Monday when when probably most of our listeners are half brain dead and (laughs) wanting something to listen to. (laughs) 
I doubt they'll want to listen to a church podcast, but we, yeah. but some, some folks just can't get enough. So we'll just, that's true. That. <laughs> okay. All right. You take all right, care right. of yourself. All right. You too. Bye okay. everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.